This is Ubaldi Reports. I'm John. And just for those who are listening for the first time, I'm a 30-year combat Marine veteran. And with me today, as always, is Joe Bitts, a, a retired combat wounded veteran from Iraq. So how's it going, Joe? Great, John. How are you? I'm doing really well. It was a good day today and looking forward to this podcast. We do have a group that a new group of listeners with us, and we'd like to welcome them. And that is Heroes Media Group. It's a veteran-owned business, so we really like to welcome them to the podcast. All right. So how is everything going, John? Everything's going pretty good. Just came off work today, so I'm doing fine. Okay. You know, a few days ago, my wife brings up a... Okay. So I guess all the governors are trying to get their stimulus fund, and Correct. part of it, coming down here to Florida, Ron DeSantis was going to start giving $3,000 to teachers and first responders. And also, he's on the lookout for civics teachers. Civics, because what we're seeing across the country is they're not teaching civics in the classroom anymore like they used to. Okay. And then she brought up something to me. It's the first time I've heard of it. It's called critical race theory. Now, what is critical race theory? Basically, I looked it up as well just to make sure I had, I've had it down. Critical race theory means there's systematic racism throughout the institutions of the United States. That could be education, that could be business, that could be banking. Everything is systematically racist. And in it across the country, like California, they're doing a um, an ethnic studies course, which means that they're saying that all white Christians were evil because they perpetuated colonialism hundreds of years ago. Okay, so going, I want to th- think about a couple things, because critical race theory, is it an American practice? Or is it something that America has adopted from? No, it's it's strictly an American practice. We've seen it over the the last few years, where even during the 2020 campaign, Joe Biden and other Democrats, especially more on the progressive side, have said America is systematically racist in all phases. They feel that a minority people of color, particularly more so African Americans, would never get a fair shot because of their race. So there's groups out there who want to change our educational system that put this in that whites are the problem. You are systematically racist if you're white. Okay, let's think about that for just a second. Okay, racism is having a different of race. Like you don't like somebody or you have a certain feeling towards somebody because you don't like the way, I guess, their ethnicity or how their background is. So now accusing white people of being racist, isn't that inherently racist itself? Yes, and there's also problems where it even goes back even a little further than that. There's the 1619 Project, which is a bunch of progressives put together this theory that America was not founded on July 4, 1776. It was founded in 1619 when the first African-American slave came to the Americas. And there's... Part of this group believes that the Revolutionary War was not fought for what we all believed it was fought over. It was fought over racism. Slavery was the primary theory. Many historians have refuted that notion. Yeah. It really was not fought over slavery. So, actually, many historians would think that the founding of the United States or founding of America, it's... July 4th, 19, or I'm sorry, July 4th, 1776, when we declared 
our independence. independence. And that's what, hey, there's America right there. That's the birth of America, not declaring 1619, is it? 1619 Project. Yeah, okay. Now, the same group of individuals who are pushing this critical race theory are the ones that are perpetuating the image that our founding fathers were racist because they own slaves. That's why you see in school districts across the country this movement to tear down the statues, tear mm-hmm. down any likeness of these individuals. Now, in the context, our founders, some of many of the founding fathers did own slaves. George Washington owned slaves. Thomas Jefferson owned slaves. The two greatest examples. And Thomas, George Washington gave up his slaves when they died. And he maintained, I think, to the last person, last slave that was freed after he passed. He cared for them all the way up until about 1830 when the last one perished. But the, the problem is, in the context of the time, was slavery wrong? Yes, it was. It should have happened. Yes, it. there's no way it should have ever happened. But in the context of the times, that's what was going on. So this is always a common argument about there were more slaves way back before we brought black people over to this country. And that's always almost like a cop-out saying black people weren't the only people that were slaves. But it isn't even like through maybe biblical time or there's always been yeah, there's always been but slaves. the thing is was it right that the united states had slaves considering the the declaration of independence stated all men are created equal but what people need to understand there wouldn't have been an abraham lincoln if there wasn't a thomas jefferson and george washington yeah because if you go back to the lincoln douglas debate and you really truly understand the speeches that were given by stephan stephan douglas he was a Democrat, and yeah. Republican was Abraham Lincoln. And Abraham Lincoln stated Thomas Jefferson was flawed. He believed in all men are created equal, but obviously all men weren't created equal. And at that time in the mid-19th century, there were more Bibles issued out than any time, I think, in U.S. history. So when Abraham Lincoln gave that famous Stephen Douglas, the Lincoln-Douglas debate, he stated, in the Declaration of Independence— it says all men are created equal. But then he looked at, since everybody was reading the Bibles, then he looked at, well, aren't we all equal in God's eyes? How can this group be not free, but this group is? So what are we saying? Irish are free, but Germans are not. So he put it in that that context, and that set the stage for what happened four years later when he became the president of the United States and ushered in the Civil War. Oh, yeah, and I did Yeah, and I did want to talk about that. So the Civil War was a product of the South seceding. That was the ultimate guarantee. That's what started the Civil War. But the Civil War had its origins back when they signed the Constitution. Now, when they signed the Constitution, yeah, it didn't limit, it, it did not forbid slavery. But what they did do in the Constitution is they forbid the importation of slaves into the United States. I think that ended in 1809. Okay. But then the founders believed that slavery would die out. Okay. It never did. See, I thought it was almost like how how Congress works now. It's a give and take. We'll give you this if you take that. And they were really so adamant about getting this country up and going and being successful after Revolutionary War that they said, I thought they maybe bent a little bit on the whole slavery thing just to say, okay, let's just get this done. And then we can, as we grow as a nation, we can get rid of slavery. They originally thought it would die on its vine because 
it just wasn't a profitable okay. venture. It just never did. And mm. then in eight, I think it was eighteen twenty, there was the Missouri Compromise. Missouri would come in as a free, uh, as a slave state. Maine would come in as a as a free state. Okay. So that's that's was the compromise. If any two states come in, one can come in as a slave, and one can come in as a free state. That lasted up until about the eighteen forties, when the United States went to war with Mexico, and mm-hmm. we got. The lands and then New Mexico, Arizona, California, and I think parts of Nevada. Was that before or after Louisiana Purchase? That's after Louisiana Purchase. Okay. And that was another issue. You got the Louisiana, all this land opened up. Hmm. So that's when it came into this one state, free state, one state, slave state. Yeah. But when the Mexican-American War came in and we got all this land all the way to the Pacific Ocean, then it became, I was like, okay, now what do we do? Then it became popular sovereignty. Let's let the people decide. And it became a bloodbath. And each thing they did just pushed it off a few years. And then in the 1850s, they did the Kansas-Nebraska Act. And they just kept pushing it off. And finally, it just ran to, uh, it culminated into a civil war. And if you look at, after Andrew Jackson was president, he served two terms. The next president, we went almost 25 years until the next president, which was Ulysses S. Grant, that a president could fulfill two full terms. Lincoln Mm -hmm. was elected to a second term, but he was assassinated. Yeah. So then you look at the presidents at that time. Most of them came from the South. So it just pushed that. Now, the one point that I want to get back to when they talk about this critical race history, excuse me, this critical race theory is many people think America is systematically racist. I wrote an article about this back in, I want to say August or September. And I think the title of it was, is America systematically racist or is it failure of progressive policies? And what I mean by that, and I know I've said this because Joe's about ready to vomit when I say this again. But if you look at poverty and some of the things that underline the wealth gap, there is a wealth gap between blacks and whites. Mm -hmm. That's a given. That's been pushed out by the Census Bureau, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and other government data collecting. My father only had a fifth grade education. So each of my brothers got a high school diploma. Two of my brothers, my older brother and myself, We got a bachelor's degree, and I got a master's degree. My two younger brothers went into the vocational trades, both considering both make more than I do. But the one brother works in the construction trade as a superintendent for a construction company. The other one became a firefighter, and he's a captain out in in Washington State. But the point is, to end the wealth gap, you need a solid education, and you need stable family, cohesive family unit. Now, if you look at the African-American community, 70% come from single-parent families, not the result of a divorce. So a lot of them come from fatherless homes. So if you have children and become an unwed mother at a young age, the chances of you gaining in wealth becomes harder and harder. And if you have a lack of an education, now if you go back and with all the teacher strikes and all the the fight and debate about reopening the schools prior to the coronavirus shutting down the schools, 70% black children in all these urban cities and states like California, New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, all have one theme in common. 70% of blacks and Hispanics are deficient at grade level. So if you're graduating at high school, but you can only do math and English to a ninth grade level, what type of job are you getting? So no one looks at that angle. 
Yeah. So when they talk about these critical race theory issues, they never focus on that. They just focus on this, that there was a last point. So I'll give you a chance to chime in. There was a professor and I can't think of her name. She was at UC San Francisco and she looked at two cities, Alameda and I think East Oakland. And she looked at East Oakland as just really decrepit, really dysfunctional. And she's talked about all the problem with housing, healthcare, all these other things. All those are local issues, but that city has been controlled by one party for 60 years. If you look at, say, Baltimore, they talk about the systematic racism. Well, it's got an African-American mayor, majority city councilmen are African-American, police chief, county, the city prosecutor are all African-American. So is it really systematically racist or is it just failure of governance of failed policies that are hurting these minority communities. Yeah. When it comes to critical race theory, what is actually, what is the motivation behind it? You said it was progressive. It was progressives driving it. Are they just trying to get maybe more people to feel white guilt or? In a way, it's, I would agree with that. Shelby Steele, he's a fellow at the Hoover Institute. He used to be, I want to say vice president of the Urban League. And he's African-American, and he calls it white guilt, black victimization. White progressive elites believe that we did a great harm to the African-American community. And I knew a lot of progressives, and they fundamentally believe that a black or a minority person in America can never get ahead. If they don't get something, it's got to be because of race. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't racism out there. That's part of human nature that we try to eradicate. It's always going to be there, but you try to eradicate that. But to say that if someone of color cannot get ahead because of their race, and if America is systematically racist and black America makes up 14% of the U.S. population, how did Barack Obama become president? How did Condoleezza Rice and Colin Powell become Secretary of State? Or Eric Holder and Janet Yellen, Loretta Lynch, become Attorney General? Okay, I have maybe a different way of thinking about this is that you mentioned earlier how a lot of the black and Hispanic culture, I guess, fathers, it's not even divorce, it's just motherless, fatherless homes. Yet we have the white dynamic that is pretty, is it just as solid? We're starting to lose that as well. The Census Bureau and other government data collecting points have stated that African-Americans, 70% come from single parents. Hispanics is around 50%. White families is about 30%. Yeah. Think back to the day when, when I was a kid, the only, I had a good friend of mine. He came from a divorced family. Everybody else came from two parent families. Yeah. If you remember during the the seventies, living with your boyfriend or living with your girlfriend was not seen as something you bragged about. Having a a pregnancy without being married was not seen as a good thing. And I'm not saying they should shuttle her off to a, a boarding school somewhere, but back, you think of the norms of what we were talking about 30 years ago. Today, if you live with your boyfriend or girlfriend, it's not a big deal. But there's still that family dynamic there. There's still that mother, there's still that father, and there's still the kid. Whether they're doing it, whether it, they're doing it with like co-parenting or there's a relationship there, they just don't want to be. True, but then you also have, they're living, they're not married. Okay, let's say they have the child and they live together, but how long do they stay together? 
I think involvement is more important than is actual. Is there a statistic that says if there's a father living in the house or if there's just a father involved, is that person going to be more successful? That is a correlation. Okay. If the father is in the child's life, effectively being a father, you have a better chance. But it's even better if the father is living with the mother at the time. Mm -hmm. Now, at the same time, people can fault us. What if it's an abusive relation? I got it. There are abusive relationships out there. Okay, I, I fully understand that. But look back to the dynamics of the family. Yeah. If you look at Doris Kearns Goodwin wrote a book called uh, Team Arrivals, and she went through all the different rivals to Abraham Lincoln. And everybody, she gave a little biography of every individual. A lot of them were widowed because of death, mainly through, you got disease, the healthcare system wasn't like it obviously is today. But if you look back today, a lot of kids don't have a strong male role model. And I know a couple people who are single parents. And I have a friend of mine, She her ex is on the West Coast. He pays his child support, but he hasn't seen his son since he was four and he's 10. Yeah, I know a few people like that. Yeah. So what is it? And the 10-year-old is like, why doesn't my dad want me? Why doesn't he call me? So another thing that we could probably look at is that is the child or is the person more successful if there's just a father figure, not their well, father? That's something to look at as well. But I think every child needs to know that someone is there for them. Someone loves them. I, I see it as, okay, if they're saying white and Asians who have a solid family foundation are more successful than, say, black and Hispanics, is there a, a, gen, is there a genetic trait? No, there? I don't think there's a generic trait. I think it's more societal trait because in the, I think it was 1965, then pa Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who was worked in the labor department for Lyndon Johnson, who later became a Democratic senator from New York, and it's ironic. He actually worked with Richard Nixon, but he was very liberal. But he, but anyway, he wrote a report. I think it was titled Negro in the Ghetto. And what he was saying is the policies of the federal government are going to destroy the inner city family. And what he meant by this is if you're married on welfare, you don't get any money yeah, because you have a, a father or a male in the home. So by taking the male out of the home, you get money. Okay. So now the male is gone. You get more money. So then over the generations, it just became easy. Oh, I just can get, if I get pregnant, I get money. The father just becomes almost a brief. So what if they reverse it? Okay. Hey, we're going to give you money if you stay. Is that going to change? Is that going to put the argument today? What happens if you're a single mother, you're, you get pregnant and then you had a second child. Hmm. Do you get more money? Yes. Yes. Some people would say, you couldn't handle the first child. Why should I give you more money for having more kids? Mm -hmm. And the other argument is, this is going to harm the child. At some point, there needs to be personal responsibility. But going back to the earlier point that I want to raise, is America systematically racist? No. Or is it failure of governance in a lot of these communities? And if you look at government today, whether it's state, local, federal government, the federal government has gotten much larger, more bureaucratic, mm -hmm. and less effective. Now, we work and we serve, 30, I served 30 years in the Marines. You retired from being wounded in Iraq. Yeah. Look at the VA. The VA budget has gone up considerably over the years. 
But has the effectiveness of the VA gotten better? No. Now, if you take it to where most minorities live, and they tend to live in urban setting, and there's some who live in the rural communities. But if you look at the urban core of America, take a look at Baltimore, which we mentioned earlier. That's primarily run by Democrats since the 1960s. And it's primarily run by African-Americans. I'm not saying African-Americans can't run a city. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is it's the policies that they perpetuate that contribute to the dysfunctional nature of their cities. Take Baltimore. You have the Mayor de Blasio, Bill de Blasio. They have, like I said, 70% of their African-American and Hispanic kids can't do math or English to grade level. They have a school system that they take high achievers, high intellectual achieving children, and they put them into this school. So he, they found out there's not a lot of minorities into this school. So what's their answer? Close the school. Close that school and move them back. Yeah. San Francisco said meritocracy is racist. If someone's better at something and everything, they want to get rid of that. So instead of saying, if this person can't get to that school, why? It's just like in California, they abolished this SAT, I think, for the UC system. And I think they're doing the same thing for the state college, but don't quote me on that. But they're abolishing the state, the SATs, because they think it's inherently racist. Because a lot of minorities, black and Hispanics, don't do well on those tests. But instead of asking the question, is it racist or why aren't black and Hispanics doing well? But if you go back to their school system, they go to some of the most dysfunctional school system. If you look at this whole um, reopening the schools, we've been spending hundreds of billions of dollars. We spend almost $800 billion between federal, state, and local on our public schools. And we're still almost at the bottom of the industrialized world. Yeah. So is it systematic racism or is it just failure of government policies to give choice to children so they can attend a better school? So is it, okay, I'm going to ask, is it racist because, okay, so we have the mayor of New York and he says minorities can't get into this school. So because you can't get into the school, I'm just going to close it down. Is that kind of just placating to them saying, if you can't go, then nobody well, can go. Well, it's what it is. It's harming these students because yeah. you're not fixing the problem. I always like to, and maybe as a quasi-journalist, I like to know why aren't these students able to get into that school? Are black and Hispanic kids dumber than everybody else? No. Yeah. The schooling system they go to de- deprives them of a better quality education. Like, they have charter schools in New York City. Yeah. They operate in the same school building as the public schools. They take the same kids from the same inner city, but the charter schools get better results because they challenge these school mm-hmm. kids. They tell them, you come to school, you're coming to school to learn. If you don't want to learn, go somewhere else. Yeah. So let's kind of cap it up a little bit. But is the media making it, making racism, Is are they perpetuating racism? Just recently, a few days ago, there was a shooting in Atlanta, and it happened to be at a massage parlor. There were a lot of Asian women there that got shot, and then they called it an Asian hate crime. Yes, the media perpetuates the racist thing yeah. is because if you look at it, like the image, okay, what happened to George Floyd was reprehensible. Yes. We all admit that. But the narrative goes out that blacks are being hunted down by the police. If you look at the data, 
from the FBI, even the Brookings Institute and other think tanks like Harvard and Yale found out more whites are killed by the police Mm -hmm. than blacks. It's not the case. But they also found out a black person has greater chance to be killed by another black person than any white person. Yeah. So the media perpetuates this version of racism. Uh, what narrative? What's the point? It's, Why do they do For them, it's to sell a narrative. It's to push the, the continuum of the policies that the Democrats have been pushing, like this whole 2020 election. Whatever you think of Donald Trump, he funded traditionally black colleges, which even Barack Obama didn't make it permanent. He created more wealth for the black community. He gave the black community choice. It's just like at the State of the Union address in 2020, he had, I think, a little African-American girl who was like nine. She lived in D.C. D.C. has one of the worst school districts in the country, even though their CEO makes a quarter of a million dollars, and that they're stuck there. Yeah. So they had a scholarship that she gets to go to the same school Barack Obama's kids sent, and Barack Obama ended the scholarship for D.C. students to go to a better school. Yeah. All right. So the one thing that – let me get back to restate this. The one thing that is that system, America systematically racist or what? Yeah. And that's something that needs to be – and that's a question I would leave to the viewers. Do you believe America is systematically racist, or do you believe it's a failure – of governing government policy in these communities. And we would like to hear from you. Again, Is do you believe America is systematically racist, or is it failure of government policy? And, John, how can they ask, how can they answer, answer that question? You can go to UbaldiReports at gmail.com. That's UbaldiReports at gmail.com. Or you can go to Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and type in Ubaldi Reports. You can go to Ubaldi Reports group and type in that answer and say, let's see, do you believe America systematically racist or do you believe it's just failure of government? Okay. Now you're going to go into thank you, the Heroes Media Group. And I also, before we leave, I would like to thank the Heroes Media Group and the listeners from that organization. And it's a veteran-owned company, and we're glad to be part of that organization. And again, just to let our listeners know that we've said on our Ubaldi brief and on the Ubaldi reports, come April, the first week or two of April, we're going to live stream the podcast to all our social media platforms. And then we're going to do a soft launch. We'll introduce who Joe is. You introduce who I am and what Ubaldi reports and Ubaldi brief is about. And then in the second week, we're going to do an official launch. And that's where we're going to pick a topic that's something that has some legs, so we can discuss that and live stream it from there. And Joe has something that we're also going to be doing. Yeah, in the beginning of April, we're going to have a Patreon where you're going to be able to sign up and you're going to maybe fork over a little bit of cash to hear an extra episode of the uh, Ubaldi Reports. It's going to be called the Ubaldi Reports Declassified. It's where you're going to get a more of an uncensored or actually a really uncensored and more opinionated version of the show and what our true feelings of about what's really going on and what's really going on. With that, I want to tell everybody to have a great day and keep on listening. Until next time, keep listening to Ubaldi Reports.